This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Play the play on the show. The, show. the Mariners got up off the mat and they salvaged the Seattle Sports Weekend. It's going to feel pretty dire. As of about the start of the eighth inning, Michael Bumpus, I was thinking to our like, what exactly are we going to talk about tomorrow? Are we going to talk about the 30-3 to loss in the Seahawks exhibition game? That doesn't sound like much fun. Are we going to talk about them, the Mariners losing by a combined score of 27-4 to in the first two games of, uh, of, of their series in Houston? No, that sounds pretty unamusing and entirely as well. And I don't know if I'd go so far as to say they saved the entire weekend. The Sounders had a nice win, but it was great to see the Mariners score a run in the eighth, Tie it in the ninth on Ty France's solo home run, and then pull out and win it in the in the eleventh, six to three. And now they move on to Oakland, and they're in the exact same spot they started the weekend. Three games back in the wild card, three games behind. Didn't take a step forward. Didn't take a step back. You just want to stay in the hunt, and that's what we saw. And we saw clutch performances. We saw Seager come up clutch. Seawald come up clutch. Ramirez comes in late and finishes the game off. JP gets on base after going zero for four. I mean, it's. These guys find a way sometimes, Danny. That's all you can ask for. It might not be pretty at times. It might be stressful. End of the day, you look at the final score. Did you win the game or not? Yeah, and this is six games into a road trip, and they've won four of those games. They win two out of their three games. Two out of every three games the rest of the way, they're going to be in the playoffs. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly certain of that. Uh, some hat tips are in order. I think this is in uh, ascending order of importance. The fourth most impor- important person, from that game on Sunday, Kyle Seeger, his his three run homer in the eleventh ultimately makes the biggest difference. The only it didn't put them ahead, right? They'd already taken the lead, and I know that that provided the cushion that they needed. But that keeps it. That's it's number four on my ranking simply because of that. Uh, yeah, I I think that's about right for the homer. Yeah, I'm with that. And yes, it gave the cushion, but. The cushion does something to the team as well, right? It gives you a bit more confidence. Maybe it helps the pitchers out on the mounds. So it's hard just to be like, oh, yeah, well, they were already up. It doesn't matter. Man, you'll take, true. You'll, you'll take runs however you can, whenever you can, especially against a team like the Astros, who you know have some pop in the bat and can get right back in the game. They almost did get back in the game, had bases loaded a couple times. Yeah, bases loaded, including in the bottom of the 11th. The third most important person to contribute was Johan Ramirez, who got the Mariners out of that by getting the final two outs. But right now, we bring in the the tall, dominant left-hander, the statuesque blonde quarterback. Brock here joins us for Blue 42. Here we go. This is Blue 42. We're going to go red, right, tight, close, sprint left, GU corner, halfback, flat, on two, ready, right. Now here's your host, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Blue 42! Hey, Brock. Hello, Danny. Be positive. Be positive. Be positive. Is that is that your mantra to me, or is that your mantra for yourself? That's my own self-talk for the last hour. (laughs) Since I dropped the kids off, just doing some planning, some preparation, getting ready for our our Blue 42 on this Monday. Be positive. Be positive. Find the positive. Silver linings. Preseason. Be positive. Our training camp coverage presented by Precore Home Fitness. All right, Brock, tell me what was positive about a 30-3 to boat race. Be positive. Be positive. Be positive. Give me something positive. <laughs> Come on, Brock. Uh, our R- kicker. Rasheem Green. Our oh, kicker's kicker. pretty darn good, man. Oh, you like Jason Myers? He's perfect. Perfect Myers. <laughs> 
Rasheem Green played hard. He played hard against. Uh oh. Yeah, yeah, he played uh, hard. See, when you say that's that's like the old Holmgren. When Holmgren would say, bless his heart, you knew that what was coming was, hey, I I really like him. I don't think this is effort. Like, this is Mm -hmm. a lack of freaking talent. Bless your heart. Bless your heart for trying to scramble there, Brock. Bless your heart. But you can't really do that. Ooh, it was tough, man. It was, it it was, that was a a tough, tough watch. And for the first time, not doing preseason games in I think six or seven years for me, I'm like, wow, these are, this is, this is some heavy, heavy lifting feels like fourth preseason game kind of stuff and obviously magoo struggled and he turned it over three times and cheapers creepers it was i don't care about him though right like i'm worried i'm more you know what here's what i'm worried about brock is there a drop-off in talent is there is does this team lack the depth that it used to have that it used to be when you went to your twos and threes they were better than they are now it's pretty easy to just look at the overall bottom line, Danny, and say, yeah, that's the way it used to be. I think I even tweeted that uh, last week when I was negative and negative and negative and negative. And, you know, it was players 25 through or 35 through 53 on this roster that you remember, you know, in the early days, in the first five, six years. Those guys that would get cut and they would go get picked up and they'd start other places. I, I don't I don't see that. I don't see that happening. And in fact, I think there's some position groups that you're gonna you're gonna have to look at cut down day very specifically and say, man, of our 35 through 53, how many guys getting cut from other programs are better than than our guys sitting there in that spot? And I think there's there's a handful. I think that DB room is is still concerning to me. Cornerback room, I think linebacker depth. Ben Burkirvan, obviously, you know, is that been official? I saw John Ursua was official with his ACL. That looked really bad for Ben. Um, so does that mean K.J. Wright has to come back into this fold at the linebacking crew? You know, just, the, just the, the playmaking, just defensively. Make a play on the ball. Even positive Pete, you know, had kind of referenced that at the end of last week. That, man, going into game two, we need to be able to, we need to, be able to attack the football. Take away the ball. You know, force other teams into mistakes and into errors. And what did the Broncos have? One penalty? They didn't, they didn't give the ball away. They made it look pretty easy again, just unfortunately, as Peterman did the week before. So trying to be trying to be positive, but man, it was it was hard to glean much positive from that game at home. Question two. Stone Forsyth was a little better. There you go. Stone was a little bit better. <laughs> sneak How about in. DJ Dallas? DJ Dallas did some nice things in the return game, catches All the right. ball well. Little concern when Pete's comment after the game was Russ loves him. Well, do you love him? <laughs> I know Russ loves him, but, but what are you going to do? And how's that running back room going to all sort itself out and fit? Yeah, man, there's a lot of questions. I'm sorry, Bump. Go ahead. Question two. All good. Love it. All right, Brock, I'm going across the league. I got a quarterback here, so I'm going to ask a quarterback question. There's yep. a lot of rookie quarterbacks out there getting their feet wet. I feel like this was a great quarterback class. You got Trey Lance, who went 8 for 14, 102 yards, two touchdowns this weekend. Zach Wilson, 9 for 11, 128 yards, two touchdowns this weekend. Mac Jones, 13 of 19, 146 yards. Lawrence plays tonight. Mm-hmm. Which one of these guys do you like the most so far? I think Zach Wilson has, has impressed me the most, both on and off the field. And, I, and he's probably the one bump that I would have thought, uh, I don't know. And I know there's going to be some bumps in the road in New York City under those lights and preseason against backups. This is the easiest it's ever been for these rookie quarterbacks. Right, you're seeing twos and threes, and, and for for those guys and Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence and Mac Jones that played at big time colleges, played in playoff games. 
I don't think the speed of these preseason games with the twos and threes is anything really terribly different than what they've already played. And that's why I think the comfort level has been been pretty solid for them. I would say in watching a little bit of Trey Lance last night, like, oh, go ahead, San Fran. If you want to start him, there's going to be there's going to be a, a learning curve to climb. The end stat line looked pretty good. The first ugh, three, four series pick and not throwing it and kind of hesitant and not pulling the trigger against backups and twos and threes. Life's going to speed up for him really fast if he's the number one. So I would save everybody bump uh, the, the ease of the uh, of which you know Zach Wilson throws it and and what and how he's seeing it and even in some of his comments that I've enjoyed in his press conferences of hey man practice is a time where I, I've got to learn what I can and cannot do at this level and and what window is open and what window is closed and how quickly those windows close and really the preparation in it he's been he's been pretty solid the first two weeks out. Now, Brock, I know you got an arm. I've seen you throw that thing, that lefty, all that leverage, 6'6 six, six frame. It looks good. Have you ever had a receiver tell you that you're throwing the ball too hard? And is there such thing? Me, I, I like it. <laughs> throw it hard, give it to me quick. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, not not in games, but in warm-ups. They're like, bro, can you take it down about four notches? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> And actually, before my very first start in the NFL, I don't know if Danny remembers this, but Derek Mays, great receiver, incredible hands, duck-footed, couldn't bench 225 once and ran a five-flat, but that guy could catch a football and knew how to play the game. It was just a terrific teammate. And in warm-ups, before my first start in Carolina, threw him a little like basic inside, I don't know, 12, 15-yard in cut right from the slot bump, and, and it just kind of caught his finger wrong. And uh, I thought, oh, maybe he just jammed his finger. He went in. It actually tore the tip of his finger off, and they had to sew it back on. Mm. And uh, he wanted to come back and play, and there's a big brouhaha and fight on the sidelines. That was not good. Uh, my first start, all in all, not good. <laughs> maybe that was a harbinger of, of things to come, that it wasn't going to be pleasant. But, yeah, in warm-ups, I heard it a few times. Certainly not in games. Guys want that ball on them. They want it on them fast. The faster it can get there and they can, you know, see what's in front of them as a wide receiver, I think that's helpful. But in practice, every once in a while, turn it down a notch. So these about- all these people... All these people saying Trey Lance is throwing the ball too hard during the game need to chill. We, we, we want we want the ball in our hands as quickly as possible. Well, I think a little check down now. I think feathering in, you know, when you're talking receivers, that's one thing. When you're talking running backs, uh, that's another. Right? With those running backs, those guys don't have the hands of wide receivers do. I never felt like, ooh, I got I to gotta really take something off a shallow cross to a wide receiver or whatever. To running backs now, you, you, your ball placement's important. And really important that you don't throw it a million miles an hour on checkdowns to those guys. So I think there's some validity with that of just learning a little bit of touch to tight ends and running backs underneath. But when it comes to wide receivers, especially at the pro level, as you said, Bump, man, those guys have usually amazing hands and want that ball sooner than later. Brock, what about the time in Miami when you had a drunk fellow who you convinced you were right-handed? And then oh, said you yeah. just try one left-handed. Did yeah. you throw it too hard for that fellow's <laughs> no. taste? No, that bump's probably one of the highlights of my throwing career. <laughs> Marino, it, for, yeah, Larry for, Izzo. We go to the beach. I think it was my wife and I. Damon flew us down there. He's playing for the Dolphins, and uh, we're out on the beach trying to enjoy a nice time. And this drunkard, just this twenty-something, just drunk tool comes and he's making a scene and he's stealing people's <laughs> drinks and and he sees a football and he's like oh you want to play catch i was like yeah sure so i picked it up and i started throwing it right-handed to him 
And he's kind of laughing. You can't throw. And I'm like, oh, let me try a lefty. And I zinged it at his nipples as hard as I could. <laughs> and, and it ricocheted off of him. It tattooed him. Everyone laughing at him. He walks off. I get a standing ovation. <laughs> yeah, that right there, one of the one of the highlights of my throwing career. <laughs> Do you think it left a mark? Oh, yeah. Oh, I threw it hard. We were about 10 <laughs> yards apart. I'm, I'm glad, though. I'm fortunate that my aim, I didn't aim at the face because it could have yeah, just destroyed yeah. his face. It could have broke his teeth and nose and could have been a lawsuit. No, you just, gave it, you just gave, gave it to him on his nipples. I gave him a third nipple, a little tattoo right between the two. <laughs> Question three. Brock's so nice. I love those little moments when, 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 a, when a little bit, a little bit comes out. A little, little, little bit of that comes out. <laughs> uh, all right, Brock. Questions that remain unanswered. What's your biggest question for the Seahawks team? Because we talked about Trey Lance, uh, t- uncertainties that other teams have. Is there a starting spot that you feel is still up for grabs? Well, I think an uncertainty is still the unsettledness of your left tackle. Like that, that is that is a legitimate. And the guys even behind Dwayne that you would count on have been banged up and have been limited. So I think making sure you solidify one of the most important positions and one of the most important players on your team. And I know that is top of mind with the quarterback and, and he didn't run the team, but that one is, is, is a big deal. I think wide receiver depth is another one. And, and what is that going to look like and how is that all going to take shape? And I know uh, D is working with Russ before practice, but how quickly are they truly on the same page? And, you know, these little option routes and these little things that, that you know, you know Shane Waldron wants to do, that you've seen him do, that you've seen Shanahan and McVay and that Rams system, you know, really utilize Cooper Cup and, and inside those slots. So making sure that's on the same page. And then lastly, you know, is there a trade to be made at corner? I think this team is a corner short especially in this league that you've got to cover in this division that you've got to cover. I, you know, is there, is there a possible move between now? Because this is the window that we have seen John Schneider make those moves, right? Make those trades, send a fourth rounder, send a fifth rounder, send a third rounder. I don't think you're going to give up a first rounder for Stefan Gilmore. And I don't even know if he's on the table, but is there a, a move to be made for another legitimate corner that can take the ball away? Because, man, that is, uh, to me, the most glaring glaring need for this roster right now. That's one of the spots that I'm pretty confident in John Schneider. Yes. Like, if you, if you said, like, two things that John Schneider does exceptionally well when it comes to player acquisition. If you need a run-stuffing defensive tackle and you give him $2 million, he's going to find a guy that's really good at that. Agreed. That's probably been number one for 12 years. Yep. Tony McDaniel, Atapa mm-hmm. Rubin. Just that kind of that, hey, he's not going not gonna to win a lot of attention, but you want a guy to plug the run, and he, he'll do it at a, at a very reasonable price where you're going to feel like that guy. And the other one is go trade for a corner that somebody else is going to cut. Justin mm-hmm. Coleman. Yep. Quandre Diggs falls into that. I yep. mean, Diggs was... Diggs was out there for anybody. They gave him a fifth round pick for him. He made a Pro Bowl last year. DBs, DBs, yeah, DBs and trades. John's really good at. Yep. Well, you know, and they've got their they're they're on the speed dial to everybody. They're watching all of these games. I guess that's the one positive that you can take. I saw Gil Brandt. God bless Gil Brandt. Saw him at the Hall of Fame. That guy's is he a hundred years old now? It's unbelievable. 
But he yeah. tweeted and, and, and said, you know, if, golly, these preseason games are, are really rough product. And, you know, if you're going to just play twos and threes, then just practice and do away with them. And obviously owners are not going to do that because of the ticket sales. And, you know, I think they even sold, what, 68,000 Saturday night in Seattle as far as the sold tickets. So they're not going to give up that gate and that revenue. But I guess the positive is if you do want to see twos and threes, you're getting a lot of looks at them in preseason here. (laughs) You know, if you're truly a scout and you want to find that diamond in the rough and you're watching this tape, and college seasons were cut a little bit short last year, but you know, here's some some good reps, some some good work around the league. If if you do need to to make that acquisition, and I'd be pretty surprised, Danny and Bump, uh, before they set this roster week one, if there is not a trade for just a, a I think a legitimate corner that this roster needs. He is Brock Heward. He joins us every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday for Blue 42, our training camp coverage brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. Brock, thank you so much, and especially for the story about that young uh, man's third nipple that you provided. <laughs> yep, you got it. Go Mariners. Take these from the A's. Let's get back to a game back, and let's go. Let's go. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Right. Thank See you, you very much, Brock. See you, Brock. It is Danny and Gallant. Michael Bumpus filling in today for Paul Gallant, who will be back tomorrow. The, the Mariners are having a totally fine road trip. I, I feel the need to emphasize this to everybody because on Friday and Saturday, there is a collective hand-wringing that will occur with this fan base. And while I understand, I understand the reaction, I want to encourage people to grow out of it. The, oh man, this showed us just how far the Mariners have to go. Oh my gosh, this shows that what a fraud and what a team that's not quite ready for. Like the reaction that people had, the Mariners are having a totally fine road trip. They've won two out of every three games they've played. That's exactly what you need to do to make the playoffs. And it took some heavy lifting for them to get back into it yesterday. But anybody that comes in and thinks, oh, it's embarrassing to lose to the the defending, a team that went to the ALCS last year and a team that has consistently been at the top of the division, division to suffer a couple ugly losses, that happens. People need to realize that the Mariners are, this has been a totally fine road trip. If they split these two games with Oakland, I'll say, Good road trip. If they win both of them, this is a great road trip. The road trip so far, Bump, has been totally fine. Yeah. What would you say, 4-2 and two on the road four right and now? 4-2 so far. They've gone 4-2. Four 4-2 and, two. Four and two on the road. People are getting – they're getting uh, – excuse my dog, Lulu. She's in the background going nuts. But, um, yeah, people, you're getting – it's almost like you're not – you're never satisfied. What do they have to go, like 6-0, and 7-0, 8-0? Oh, oh? Is that realistic? Can they do it? Yeah, no. possibly. Yeah. But, I mean, how often – how often does that happen? Especially in baseball, man. It's it's up and down. I mean, the Dodgers just lost to the Mets seven to two last night. I mean, things things happen in sports. You're not gonna have a team go undefeated. I haven't seen an undefeated team since what the Dolphins back in the seventies. I mean, this is sports. So as long as they keep themselves in the hunt, that should be the goal. Be relevant. The closer we get to October, let's just be relevant, and that's what they are right now. Yeah. They've they've kept themselves very much in the conversation and in fact are in the same exact same spot. Uh, that they they started the weekend at, which is three games back in the wild card. We were counting down the most important of the performances in yesterday's game. Number four, I gave to Seager because yep. of the three run homer that provided the, the the winning difference. Like those are, it's it's not the most important moment because it didn't even they didn't need it for the lead. That was the gravy at that point. Next went to Johan Ramirez, yeah. came in to get the final two outs of the game. That's not – you walk into a situation where you've got the bases loaded and one out, and you're like, okay, you can let the first two of those guys score, but you can't let that dude on first score. 
You can't let that dude on. Like, that's a hard situation to walk mm-hmm. into. You're on mm-hmm. the road. You feel that the, you've been called into a house that has smoke pouring out of all the windows. And they're <laughs> like, just keep this from just keep this from burning everything down. That, right. that's, a, that's a tough assignment. Contain the fire. Contain it. Keep, keep, keep it over here. Don't let it spread. Don't let it spread. That's a tough spot. And, and he did great. He got, he got the two outs you needed. He's also got a little swag. Like, he likes to react emotionally. He, yeah. he likes to, I mean, maybe not quite as, as much as our number one guy. The second most clutch, most important, Ty Francis home run. Yeah, by far. Ty Francis home number run. Two. I think we have that highlight uh, uh, that we can go to because Ty France coming up, you spent the entire game wondering, all right, is the Mariners lineup going to kick it in gear? Are, are, are they, are they going to? No, they're not going to. Because it was, runs were tough to come by all weekend. And through seven innings, they had no runs. The Mariners were getting shut out. In the eighth inning, they, they score one. They had the tying run in scoring position, but he gets left stranded by J.P. Crawford. And then in the top of the ninth, that question, okay, can you squeak one across? Well, you didn't have to wait long to find out the answer to that. Here was Ty France. And the right-handers, 0-1 pitch on the way. Swing and a fly ball deep to left center field. Going back is Myers. This one is gone. Goodbye baseball. Over the orange-yellow stripe out there in left center field. Ty France with his 15th home run of the year. And the Mariners have tied it up at 2-2 here in the top of the ninth. Holy smokes, what a comeback against the Astros. Ty France with a home run evens the score. Mariners 2, the Astros 2. How about that? Clutch. Ninth inning. This is it, boys. This is it. We don't get a run here, man. It's over. We got swept by the Astros, but he, he steps up to the plate. Uh, beautiful. I, I love the call, man. Riz has such a smooth voice. Is it different? What were you feeling listening to it? Because I'm I'm sweating it out watching it at home. What's mm-hmm. it like listening to it? Was it less um, stressful? It it was less stressful but more gratifying, I feel like, because you got to wait. Like, I can't see – when you're watching it, you see it jump off the bat. You're like, that has a chance, right? And I'm just listening to Riz's voice. It gets higher and higher, and then it gets out of there. I'm driving with, with the wife in the car, and I'm hollering and screaming. She's like, what's going on? She's not paying attention to the game. I'm trying to describe it to her. Um, it, was, it was fun. I don't listen to too many games because I'm a visual guy. I really like, like to watch it. But uh, I was happy that I listened to it because it made it – I feel like it made it that much more fun because you have to kind of wait. To really see what happens, you can't anticipate it looking at the screen. The biggest performance in that game, though, is someone who kind of gets lost in the shuffle because it's the guy that held on in the bottom of the 10th. The guy who started out that inning with a runner on second, according to the extra innings rules, and the Astros know all they need to do is get that guy across the plate. Just that, that one dude, just score him. And Jose Altuve singles sharply to start the inning. He singles so sharply, in fact, that goes straight to Fraley and they don't really have a chance to score. So you've got runners at first and third. Well, intentional walk to Jeff Brantley, which is totally understandable. You've got the bases loaded and no outs. And Paul Seawald digs down, and I don't know whether it was dad strength or what exactly it came from, but the veteran who's kind of been a a marginal major leaguer for the past four four years who none of us really batted an eye when they acquired him uh, in the offseason came in and absolutely batting it down. He struck out the next three batters. Here was how he ended the inning. Seawald gets the sign. He sets. Another 3-2. Swing and a miss. Strike three. Top of the zone. And Seawald is looking like the Hulk as he flexes, walking off the mound. He gets the Mariners out of a bases-loaded 10th inning jam. 
He strikes out three Astros hitters and sends this to the 11th. Tied at two. As Dave Wyman would say, that guy has some marbles, man. It marbles. Be in that situation, not flinch. I mean, throwing the heaters all around the strike zone, painting corners. I mean, he didn't give those guys anything they could touch, man. And it was fun to watch. And then I love emotion. I'm a football guy, man. We play with emotion. All right, let it out. Let it out. Let the fans know that you're in this. You're engaged with it. Um, Seawald, man, that, that was fun to fun to hear, to listen to. And then I went home and watched the highlights and then saw him flex it, man. Made me appreciate it even more. Yeah, he, w- he was electric. And the 206 brings us up. It was a cool moment, too. Jose Altuve, who struck out for the second out in the bottom of the 11th, who's the first batter that Johan Ramirez faced, he goes, wow, after he hit him with the slider. Nailed him with a slider, swung and missed, and said, wow. Uh, the Mariners salvaged that series, saved the weekend. Who won the weekend? Well, we're going to take a look across a, a wide variety of candidates to tell you who won this previous weekend next on Danny and Gallant. You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Who won the weekend? We've got some candidates out there. You can text in your own if you'd like. 710-710. It's powered by Mac and Jacks. Our training camp coverage brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. This was something we started doing last week. I like it. It's like a way to, to wrap up and summarize everything that went on over the course of the weekend. Who won the weekend? Who should we start with, Bump? Do you want to start with Seahawks? Do you want to start with Mariners? Do you want to start with soccer? Do you want to start with Little League? You tell me. Let's start with Little League, man. East All right. love. All right, East Lake Sammamish Little League. They lose their first game, and in an elimination game, in an elimination game, Eli Jones of the East Lake All Stars baseball team pitched a no hitter. Now, it didn't end up saving everything for East Lake, but still, back to the wall moment, and Eli Little goes out there and throws a no hitter. That's absolutely awesome. In today's society, that kid should have a scholarship offer right now. Kids get offers so early <laughs> these days. Offer that kid right now. He's got the clutch gene in him on the biggest stage as a as a kid. The Little League World Series. Um, that's fun to watch up there in Sammamish, East Lake. Go get it. It is so funny watching the Little League World Series. I I I truly do. I like the Little League World Series. Yeah. There's some of the coverage of the Little League World Series that can make me cringe at times. But just <laughs> in general, everybody can I think can identify with playing Little League. But there are some huge kids. <laughs> Crazy. Just enormous. 12 years old, 160. What? Are, are you kidding me right now? You're, you should play football, kid. Yeah, ba- baseball, baseball doesn't work out. Play football. Yeah, there's some big boys out there. It's. I can think back to exactly. I know who the best, and I'll bet most people do. Who was the best player in your little league? It was Cody Barnes. I'm mine. Cody he played Barnes. for Dairy Queen. Cody Barnes. Cody, Cody Barnes threw a breaking ball, man. Like Cody Barnes, I played on Henry Riffing. We had some ugly, like, Arizona State-style colors. Like, it was a maroon and kind of a gold. And we were an okay team. We were an okay team. But Cody Barnes, Co- Cody Barnes could throw a breaking ball. And it was, yeah. it, it was, it was like nobody's business. He was, the, he was the best player in South Suburban Little League that year. And in retrospect, a lot of Little League is a race to puberty. <laughs> first, first guy to puberty often tends to have a significant advantage in that competition. Yeah. Mine was Derek Knight. He was a catcher, and he was a big boy. Like, he was 5'10 and wide. 
And you know that kid? I'm here to hit dingers. You seen that that meme? <laughs> yes. That was Derek Knight. Every time he was up there, it was gone. Derek Knight, man, great baseball player. <laughs> texted, texted the hero of your little league. Who was the best <laughs> player in your little league? And something noteworthy about that person. I think we could get some fun reactions there. All right, that's little league. Next guy who won the weekend. Let's go football. Let's go DJ Dallas. DJ, two kick returns, seventy-three yards. Got his hand on a punt. He is adding value, man. He yeah, said he, he lost some weight, lost, yeah. what, 10 to 15 pounds. He stayed in Seattle, got his mind right. He got married this offseason, so he's locked in, ready to go. He's showing an explosiveness that we just didn't see last year. It kind of seemed like he was in third gear the whole time last year. Now, man, he's, he's finding gaps and kickoff return, playing with emotion. He's on this football team, and he's putting some pressure in that running back room. He is on this football team. I'm not sure how much. Maybe he'll get some time as a third down back, but he's on this team, and he's probably your kickoff returner in part because of what yeah. he did here. Here's a high end over end kickoff. DJ Dallas takes it at the five-yard line. He's out across the 10, 15, 20, turns up field 30, the 40. He could go all the way. McManus is the last man and knocks him out of bounds across midfield in the area of the Denver bench. And DJ just runs right down to the five-yard line and acknowledges the fans in the south end zone a 45 yard kick return yeah pretty impressive can he be a third down back can he be someone that's he's a special teams mainstay. i think there's no doubt about that can he be part of this running back rotation i think he can i think he can the thing that that's tough is that chris carson can do everything as well he can catch the rock out the backfield um, but it's nice to have a switch up. And 32 is going to need some rest. Man, I mean, we would love to have him out there every single down for every situation. But truth of the matter is, you want to make sure he's there for the long haul. And why not have a guy who can catch the ball out the backfield, who can contribute on special teams? I wonder what his pass pro looks like. I haven't really locked in on his pass pro. Obviously, that's probably the hardest thing for a running back to adjust to when you get to the NFL because you get these intricate blitzes and shifts and all that stuff. But so far, so good for DJ Dallas. Yeah, it, it is. And look, Rashad Penny's on this. People have wondered. He's, but if it, if DJ Dallas outperforms Rashad Penny, like if he's a better better with the ball, there's absolutely nothing that's going to stop him from taking that spot in the in the running back rotation. Like there's not there's not going to be any. He's he's got some opportunities there behind number thirty two. Let's go to the Mariners now. We have we have two candidates here. Ty France. We've heard his home run a couple times. It was the game tying home run. We also have Paul Seawalt, who struck out. He struck out three straight batters after having the bases loaded with no outs. Here was how he punctuated that inning. And if you listen closely, you can hear a guttural yell, a a, a guttural yell in ex- enthusiasm after this third strikeout of the tenth inning. Seawalt gets the sign. He sets another three-two. Swing and a miss, strike three, top of the zone. And Seawald is looking like the Hulk as he flexes, walking off the mound. He gets the Mariners out of a bases-loaded 10th inning jam. He strikes out three Astros hitters and sends this to the 11th, tied at two. Could you hear his yell? Oh, yeah. I, I heard it. I felt it. I don't know if it was like a Bulgarian weightlifter or a Hungarian lifter. One of the Garius. One of the Garys when they have that the uh, Olympic weightlifting competition, and you just hear, Aah! that's what I imagine that, that that it sounded like that he that he channeled there. Should we give a little love to soccer? Should Got we give to. a little love to give, yeah. give a little love to soccer? I get I get a lot of grief because I like to tease. People think I don't like soccer. I do. I just like teasing soccer fans more than I like <laughs> soccer. But the Seattle Sounders 
Like they pulled something out on Saturday night. They they end up beating the Columbus Crew two to one, but they do it with two goals in like the final three minutes of, of regulation. Goes absolutely wild where they end up tying the score, and you feel like the the crew is like, we let this result get away from us. We should have three points. We're going to end up with one point. No, no, no. You're going to end up with no points because you just gave up another goal while you were reeling from that one. The Sounders with an absolutely incredible comeback. It's tough to score two goals in three minutes. That's extremely tough to do. Then last year we saw him score like three goals in five minutes or something like that. Is that is that just the culture of Seattle sports? Is hey, we're never out the game, never out the game. If there's time on the clock, we're gonna find a way, and the fan base is gonna help you get there. Yeah, can you win the game in the first half? No. Can no, you sir. win the game? You don't even have to win the game in, in, in regulation. You can extra win time. Ma- you can win it in, in extra time. And Will Bruin with the, the, the go-ahead goal. Shout out to Rui Diaz, too, who is an absolute, absolute demon. Our final candidate for who won the weekend is a guy close to my heart. If Ben Burkirvin's probably been one of my favorite Huskies to watch in the past decade, and he suffers a se- what appears to be a season-ending knee injury. It's a huge bummer. Also on that list is Elijah Molden, who was drafted, was he a second or a third round pick? I think he's a third round, second round pick by by the Tennessee Titans. And he was an absolute monster. Eight tackles, a sack. He broke up a pass. It's his preseason debut for the Titans. Not only that, the Honey Badger, Teron Matthews, says people will regret not drafting him sooner. Real football guy. Eli Molden's going to be a problem in the NFL. Yeah, those are the guys that, you really root for, you know, the guys who, I mean, everyone, you know, good ball players, but when you don't come in with all, with a bunch of hype and you kind of just do your job, you show up to work every day, then boom, you hit the scene and you, and you just explode, man. I love it. I, I know he's a Husky. It's all good, man. Real recognized, real. That kid had a game and I hope he continues to ball out. With more and more teams going to, and he was a third round pick number 100 overall with more and more teams throwing more and more often and using more and more three receiver sets that nickel cornerback which has always kind of been an afterthought like guys aren't drafted specifically five ten years ago you didn't draft guys specifically for nickel coverage in the way that you do now i think he's going to be an absolute standout you can cast your vote now 710 710 mora has also put up a poll on twitter which i will retweet tell us who won the weekend coming up next it's time to find out, are you buying it? Because there's a couple of familiar storylines. we got to see if we're all on board for the Seahawks preseason. That's next. You're listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. All right, we are going to check on a couple of uh, storylines with the Seahawks to find out if we're buying it. But get you updated on a little bit of news. Uh, Geno Atkins. Longtime Cincinnati defensive tackle. At one point, a, a franchise player. Like a real dominant defensive tackle. Somebody who's at the later years in his career. He's visiting the Seahawks today. That's something to keep an eye on. Because if if, you, if you're looking, I, I I think Seattle would is always interested in adding to its depth up front. And they've had good success bringing in a, a veteran like Atkins. It reminds me of somebody like Kevin Williams, who was a longtime defensive tackle with the Minnesota Vikings and ended up having one very productive year here with the Seahawks. So that's something to keep an eye on. But Michael Bumpus, who's in for Paul Gallant today, Paul will be back tomorrow. We've been going through this preseason. Every once in a while, we kind of stop to take stock 
of some storylines that that are being promoted and to say like are we really are we really buying this are we in on this being an actual thing and the first one we're going to start with here is DJ Dallas are are we buying the fact that he could be an emerging factor not just on this team, but maybe on this offense. He certainly had a great game on Saturday with a huge kickoff return. He scored the only touchdown Seattle has had so far in the preseason. Here's here's Pete Carroll about DJ Dallas. He's been really consistent. He's been uh, more explosive. He seems like he he came back to camp more fit, and and with the benefits of an offseason that you know the power wise, he's he's more powerful than he was. He seems quicker than he was, and and uh, he's he's a really good guy to play with. He's really clear in the games. He's a clear thinking guy that you can make adjustments, you can talk to him and uh, he, he's, a, he's a good ball player and, and uh, he's really shown that. I know Russ, Russ thinks the world of him and he knows he can throw him the football and he'll make plays and all of that. That's a really positive that they've built over you know, the, the year and a half we've been together, whatever. And, and uh, So he's done, he's done an excellent job. Are you buying it, Bump? I'm buying it and I'm buying it at asking price DJ Dallas is showing that he took this offseason seriously. Some guys watch the film and, and I don't know, get into a place where they're complacent. They made it to the lead. They're making some money. They're good to go. Not DJ. DJ says, look, I'm going to trim weight. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to settle down. I'm married. I'm locked in now. I got a foundation at home. I am going to get in the playbook. I'm going to train with Russ. I'm going to do all the things to make sure that I'm successful. And now when you go out and you perform, man, that validates you. You're like, look, man, all that hard work was worth it. Now I got to keep it going. I think DJ Dallas is going to be a big part of this team. When's the last time we had a really big return on special teams? We probably had one last year. I just don't. Well, DJ Reed. DJ Reed had a couple big returns on special teams, and that's what you need. If he has to start there and change field position and change momentum, then start him there. But I think he can run the rock out the backfield too. It would be fun to see. And – Look, the injury to Ben Burkhaven means that Ben Burkhaven was a core special teams player, and maybe DJ Reed's going to be that that kind of guy. The he deflected a punt, and that probably isn't going to get as much attention as the return or as his touchdown. And but that's that's a significant part because special teams has been when Seattle's been at its best. Its special teams have been really like not just good, but really great and consistent units. And he's going to be a key to their special teams this year. Hidden plays, hidden yards. Special teams is very important. Kids, you can make a career running down and making tackles on special teams. Storyline number two to find out. So we're buying DJ Dallas as a huge contributor. How about Rasheem Green? How about Rasheem Green? He had, what, two sacks last week? He had another sack this week. He's forced to fumble in the preseason. Now... I saw even a little bit. He was he was coming out of a linebacker stance. He didn't put his hand down some. And I don't know if that meant he was playing strong side linebacker. Or he was just lining up in a two point stance. We saw a little bit different. Are we? Here's here's Pete Carroll about Rasheem Green just just in general and specifically some of the things he tried in terms of his technique on Saturday. Yeah, I think he's done a really nice job. He's been really active. He has just been uh, so consistent, and uh, he's making a clear statement that he, you know, he fits and he's part of the, what we're doing. And, and uh, I'm really fired up for him. We, he was excited about the, the the focus of the change in the position, and uh, he's taken to it really well. Are you buying it? Are you buying Rasheem Green as a potential factor as a as a strong side linebacker? I'm buying it. I'm buying it. You can't. It's hard because we're saying that 
okay, let's not focus on the result of the team because of preseason and who they're playing. But then we're looking at guys making plays against these twos and the threes, and we can't yeah. ignore that, though. <laughs> it's, it's, it, we're, like, contradicting each other a little bit. But um, what do you expect him to do? If he comes out and he doesn't make those plays, then he's not going to make the team, and he's not a factor. So the fact that he's doing what he's supposed to do against the competition he's playing against makes me buy it. Two sacks in the first game, one this game, and he's one of the few guys who still has a neck roll. He's still got something going on in the neck roll. That's a tough dude. Dudes don't wear neck rolls anymore. So – you combine the neck roll with the production, I'm with Rasheen Green, I'm buying it. Now, here's what holds me back is I feel like this is the third year that I've heard this. I feel like this okay. is the third year that it's been. Maybe this is Rasheem Green's. And more even brought up uh, before the show, one of the facts that always gets trotted out this time of year, which is he's still pretty young. He's still pretty young because he's just 24. Yep, He's just 24. He's entering his fourth year. So I... I feel like I feel like I'm gonna need to see it in the regular season bump. I I feel like everything's well and good, and I'm not gonna discount it and say, hey, there's there's no chance. But it's, it's like, yeah, I've 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 been down this road too many times okay. before. I be, I be, I've walked down this this path. I hope it's true. I'm just I'm just not buying it yet. So not buying it in yet. the back row. <laughs> not <laughs> not quite yet. Not quite yet. Okay. Third guy, Trey Brown. He's a rookie cornerback. He's competing right now with Akella Witherspoon uh, for that left corner starting spot, the spot that's opposite. Right now it's Trey Flowers is starting there, but that's the spot DJ Reed's been at. Trey Brown, rookie. Here is Pete Carroll when he was asked about what, what he's seen from their fourth-round draft pick out of Oklahoma. After a couple weeks, you know, I realized he hadn't had a lot of opportunities to make big plays. The ball didn't come his way, you know, for whatever reason. And so I went back and pulled out every single play that he'd had and just went boom, boom, just went through it. And tried to find out, you know, where, you know, you know where, are there any scars in there somewhere? You know, I'm not seeing whatever. And uh, he, he just kept holding up and holding up and holding up. His consistency has been really what gives him support as he makes an appeal to be the starter in this team. Are you buying Trey Brown, a rookie, as a potential starter at corner on this team? Starter, no. I'm not buying him as a starter. I think he still has a lot to learn. I saw him try to make a tackle the other day, standing straight up against a tight end. I'm like, nah, brother, you got to get low. Those are big boys <laughs> out there. Little things. I see the talent. I see the swagger. I see the confidence. I see the aggressiveness. But I think that he's got to work his way in slowly and just get used to the speed of the game. Um, I think he will be a contributor. But as a starter, I'm not buying it quite yet. We'll see exactly how that pans out, whether he is going to be a a spot, because they do have some competition. And Brock, he were telling us uh, earlier this hour that he he thinks that Seattle might even be a cornerback short. So that might be something that they're out there. They're fishing for. Uh, It is Danny and Gallant. Michael Bumpus is in for Paul Gallant today. Our training camp coverage is brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. Coming up next, we'll get back to the Mariners who got up off the mat, which is something that they've proven themselves capable of doing again. And again and again. And they did it on Sunday. We'll tell you how next.